0: Welcome to the Strongstown United Methodist Church. Join us for worship each Sunday morning at 11. Here's this week's message. My scripture reading today comes from Job 42, 1-6 and 10-17. Then Mark 10, 46-52. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named, Jemimai, the second, Keziah, and the 3rd Karen Karan-Hapuch. I'm sorry, I'm terrible pronouncing those names. Nowhere in all the world were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their their children to the fourth generation, and so he died, old and full of years. Mark 10, beginning at 46. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. God. Thank you. You'll be happy to know this is the last week of Job. As you can see, it's the last chapter. But we've talked about Job for the last couple of weeks. It's a very interesting story. And I tell people, if you're having problems, read the book of Job. Because you might think a different thought of the story of Job after you've read it. We usually think that when we've done something wrong, something wrong is going to come our way. But we know with Job that God allowed Satan to test Job. And Job, even after all that he went through, losing everything that he lost, and, and his friends are blaming him for sinning and telling him to repent that he's done something wrong. He still holds his integrity and says he has not sinned. And then God spoke to him, but God speaks to him in questions. In questions, he doesn't really answer Job. Now at this point, Job is answering God. And he says, I didn't know what I was speaking about. It's basically what he's saying. I didn't realize The complaints that I was making because I didn't have the right to do that. So, in a sense, Job repents, but not of the sin that his friends had told him that he had done, or of a sin that we, the kind of sins we think about. So, he is basically repenting because he didn't realize how sovereign God really is. And I think sometimes we have this tendency to try to. Bring God down to our level. We don't want to think of God as being as sovereign a God as he is because he rules the world, because he has created everything. And he's a God that is above our understanding. And I believe there's a lot of things that we may never understand. Maybe we will when we get to heaven. But I always say if we do make it to heaven, then we're probably not going to worry about those questions that we had while we're here, right? We're just going to be thankful that we're there. But in Job's case, Job is now literally apologizing to God because of him being the human that he is and not realizing how great God really is. And then there's a piece in there that I didn't read. It talks about God telling these supposedly three friends, There was four that spoke to Job, if you remember. But for some reason, God only chose the three of them. He didn't choose the fourth one and tells them that because of what they did, they needed to each have, uh, let's see, with seven bulls and seven rams. And they were supposed to take it to Job, who was supposed to sacrifice these rams and bulls, and he was to pray for them. Now at this point, I wonder if these so-called friends would have been more like enemies. And if we think about when people do something against us and we kinda get upset with someone, and how hard is it to pray for that person? To pray for someone that's done something against us or has accused us of something that we didn't do. And I can imagine how hard it may have been for Job to have actually prayed for these so-called friends. And if you think about it in our lives, you know, it says we're supposed to pray for our enemies. And believe me, that's a hard thing to do. I had a very struggle, very huge struggle with that when I first felt like I was being called to a ministry. How do we pray for the people that's done something against us? The people that are accusing us of bad or the people that are doing bad things to us, it's hard to pray for them. And yet, that's what God wants. And here is Job. He prays for these friends. He prays for them. And God accepts his prayers. God accepts his prayers for these friends. And then it says that God literally doubled everything that had been taken away from Job. If you go back and look at the number of of each one of the livestock that he has now, God has doubled this account. And somewhere I've read, why would God do that? And if you remember, especially before our Bible studies, I think it was in Numbers where it talked about that if someone like was to kill one of your livestock, you had to give them double back, right? So God was kind of doing some of the laws that He Himself had. Had, had shall we say proposed back years prior to this that he was to double the amount of what he allowed Satan to take from Job. Now he doesn't double the number of children, but he gives them the equal number of children. Seven sons and three daughters. And if you notice in this particular part, it only gives the name of the daughters. And one of my Bibles said that was because of the beauty of the daughters, number one. And number two, because you know that most of the time in the Old Testament, they didn't get an inheritance. But it says that Job gave the daughters an inheritance equal with the sons. So they all got an inheritance. And then it ends with saying that after this, Job lived 140 years. And we don't know how old Job was when all this happened to him. But you can imagine he lived another 140 years after that. So he had to be a very old man. And it says he saw his children and grandchildren to the fourth generation. We always think it's exciting when we can say we have four. And every once in a while there will be a fifth generation still alive in families. And they always get pictures of that. I'm sure you've all had that situation in your families. But normally, normally it's like four generations. Sometimes you get a fifth one. But the thing about Job was he realized that because he says about seeing God, he saw God. We know that they believed that they could not see God face to face. And I believe that we can say we don't see God face to face. But I believe that we see God every day if we just open our eyes and look. And most of you will probably agree with me on this. I believe that when we see God, when we see the the trees around us, the changing of the leaves, everything around us was created by God. And I believe that's where we see God every day. And there's miracles happening every day. But sometimes, we don't realize it as a miracle. I believe childbirth is a miracle. I believe that are so many things that happen, but we don't necessarily consider how God's hands is in what's happening. How many times have we just missed an accident, we've had something happen in our lives that we know a minute or two of timing in the opposite direction, might have made a difference in our lives but God was still in control so that's what we have to think about and we have to realize that Job's eyes were open not necessarily the way we see but it was open spiritually to God even though he was a follower of God and he believed in God and he lived a righteous and upright life I believe that Job here had another insight that made him even a better person and made him realize how important God was and I think sometimes we need to realize how great of a God we really serve because our God is bigger bigger than we can even imagine so he saw God spiritually as much as he saw God physically speaking Then, when we turn to the story in Mark, it talks about Jesus and his disciples. And it says that they had crossed the Jordan River and come to the town of Jericho. Now, the town of Jericho, we know the story of the walls of Jericho that fell down. But but Jericho had been rebuilt by. Okay, my mind went blank again. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, One of the kings, I forget which one right now, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great and rebuilt Jer- uh, Jericho. And so it's questionable of whether we're talking about the old city of Jericho or the new city of Jericho, where Jesus and his disciples would be at this point in time. He was actually on his way to Jerusalem. For we know if you follow the Bible in the next paragraph, I mean, the next chapter, he talks about on his trip to Jerusalem. So he's going to Jericho, and as he's leaving the town of Jericho, it says this blind man, Bartimaeus, starts yelling at him, calling him son of David, which is a recognition of the fact that he is the Messiah. So even though this man was blind, we don't know if he was blind from birth or if it was something that happened to him. There's nothing saying that and there's nothing about his age, so we don't know that word either. But, it's, but no, even though he's blind, he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and he calls to Jesus. And look at the fact that the crowd at first are rebuking him, telling him to be quiet, leave Jesus alone. But what happens in the very end? The crowd encourages him. After Jesus stops in his tracks and Jesus calls to him, have him come to me. And it says that the man throwed off his cloak, which would have been his outer coat, and he ran to Jesus. Now it's amazing how he would have been able to run to Jesus being blind. How did he know where to go? I'm assuming it was by the the idea that Jesus was controlling where he was running. And, And another story I heard about that recently is, you know, they say that when we lose one of our senses, some of our other senses get stronger. And, and then we're better at something else. In fact, I have heard a story recently where someone said, well, if that's the case, maybe I should lose my sight, so I'm better at something else. But we should be thankful for the senses that we have. And if the Lord slowly takes them away from us, which is seemingly happening as we get older, we should be thankful for at least what we still have. So, Bartimaeus goes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to be able to see. Now, can you imagine a man that may have been blind his whole life? And he says to Jesus, I want to be able to see. And what does Jesus say? Go, your faith has healed you. And immediately, it says immediately, The man could see. He had his sight. And it said he followed Jesus. One of my studied Bibles said that he was known to follow Jesus for a period of time. But they don't know exactly how long. But the man did at least follow Jesus and his group for a period of time. But his eyes were open, And think about, he saw Jesus Christ, the Son of God, face to face. Can you imagine having that privilege of being able to see Jesus Christ? So the thing about the stories is that maybe we see with our eyes, but the important thing is we need to be able to see with our heart, to have the faith to know who Jesus Christ is, to know that God is in control, and to know that no matter what we do, God is still the one that's there taking care of things. And we need to have that sight of seeing Christ and believing. Having the faith. The faith. Peter writes in um, in the book of Peter, You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. That's 1 Peter 1.8 we need to see spiritually, more importantly, than we need to see with our eyes. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we're thankful that we have the faith. And I believe that everyone here knows you, believes in you, and we can say that we have seen you. Not face to face, not eye to eye, but we have seen your works. And Lord, we believe. But there's times, I'm sure, that we get discouraged. There's times in our lives where we have our doubts. There's times when we may not be sure. So Lord, forgive us of that unbelief. Forgive us when we're not where we ought to be. But help us, each one, to have the sight of you, the faith, the spiritual sight that we need to get through each and every day. And may we be your hands and feet and face to those around us. May they see you through us. Lord, we want to be your servants. Forgive us of our shortcomings. And help us to be the best people that we can be. For we want to live our lives according to your will. We ask it all in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.